Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-hosts, Mr. Patrick Farrell and Dr. Nicola Flanagan. How are you guys this week? Fantastic. Good, never been better. Nicola is just on her sixth night of seven. Um, doctors are in the media a lot at the moment, and I actually see there was, a re- there was an article in The Independent, I think, the last couple of days about how much overtime junior doctors get, which is actually just hilarious because it's clearly like the media's opportunity to save face saying like, oh, doctors are actually overpaid when, while all the controversy about doctors being overworked is in the media. So um, yeah. How are you feeling, Nicola? Are you feeling valued? Are you feeling appropriately supported in your work, appropriately reimbursed? I'm feeling pretty terrible, to be honest. <laughs> definitely, I definitely like, I don't want to do the overtime. Like you just have to. Um, so I definitely take less of that if it was going, um, but it's just not, unfortunately. Yeah, it also it also just demonstrates the fact that healthcare is the worst run business in the world, that you'll pay one doctor the price of hiring three doctors instead of hiring at least one more doctor. But, you know, c'est la vie. Today, we're not going to solve on, on that as well. Like every other industry is like, oh, you know, after about eight hours, we're just not really getting productive work from this person. Doctors, oh, actually, you're in charge of, you know, making sure we don't die. Yeah, we'll get 12 hours out of you. Yeah, yeah. delicate surgery. No problem. Let's go. <laughs> but anyway, we won't solve those problems today. But what's the problems we will solve um, are those related to female training. So we're still ongoing with the female series of the podcast and we've talked quite a bit about nutrition so far and we want to move into a discussion about training and this of course is an area that is rife with misunderstandings misinformation from at multiple different levels because maybe when you first come into fitness as a woman I don't know from personal experience but (laughs) maybe do you know what i'll end this up nicola what's it like for a woman yourself and from experience speaking to others who've come to you in the gym maybe what's it like for them walking into a gym you know it's generally male dominated the weights area is generally male dominated what's that experience like what are people told what are people scared of yeah, so it, it, it's a funny one. I think it's been getting better in, in, in the last couple of years, but I know a lot of clients that will come to me, um, a lot of them are afraid to go into the gym. I've had a lot of girls in the past that, you know, wanted to even lose weight before they go into the gym, that they, you know, kind of... Um, you know, kind of want to drop body fat before they even step into the gym out of kind of, you know, embarrassment or, or shame or whatever. Um, and then when they do get in, it's, again, a battle of you know, whether they should be doing, you know, hit classes, whether they should be doing resistance training, um, you know, kind of what kind of resistance training, they don't want to get too bulky. There's a lot of kind of misinformation kind of on social media, in the media, etc. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, apprehension of a lot of girls going into the gym. Um, and then again, when you do go in, like you're saying, it's a very male dominated space still. Um, so I think there, there's a lot of barriers. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, it's kind of easy to, to, to point at information as being the source of problems, maybe about like all women getting bulky and this sort of thing. But there's also kind of a broader, I think, um, social factor at play here where there, it's self-reinforcing. Because if you look at, let's say, if you go into a gym and you just look around and you see all the women that I'm trying to be like are in a hit class. 
none of them are out here in the gym. So just like basic level one logic, I'm actually going to go to those hit classes. Same thing then if you observe maybe content that you see online, people doing these kind of so-called hit workouts. And it's like, oh, this is training for women. It's not necessarily that they're giving you any informational rationale as to why you should do this as a woman. It's more so just what you see. Um, and that's why it comes back to that you know, phrase that people always use that representation matters. And when you see, for example, um, uh, women in CrossFit, a lot more women uh, weight training these days, and you see those examples online, I think it's not even, it's again, it's, it's not that people are citing studies and saying, oh, look, this is what happens when women weight train. It's more like, oh, I see that example. That's something I can look up to. And now I'm going to emulate that instead. So I think it's not just information that's important. It's also the what you're seeing represented in society around you. Um, and I think, as you say, that's probably something that has changed more in recent years, where if you do go into a gym, my expectation these days would, that would be that, yeah, there probably will be women in the weight training area. Like it's still going to be male dominated. But, you know, back even 10 years ago, it was far less common to see women going down to that area. And it was more common. Just because I'm the oldest here, I'm going to say back in my day. You know, back in his day. <laughs> we didn't get that. You know, women didn't go to the weights area. You know, like any of the girls that I knew, like growing up, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the gym. And you'd be like, what are you doing there? It might be a spin class. They might be doing like, you know, 40 minutes, 60 minutes on a cross trainer or something. It was never, I'm going to go in and, you know, do the weights area. You know, like some gyms that I've been in, like they've had dedicated, like, female training areas but even in those dedicated female training training areas it's like you know up to 10 kilo dumbbells you know because you only want to tone you know you don't want to get like too big you know and it's like a load of fit balls and maybe some ab exercises you know but it's like that's that's not the full extent of training female training or training in general you know yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, for for a lot of girls that I have, again, trying to get them more into resistance training, one thing that I kind of bring their attention to is, you know, with um, with classes, they're very um, female focused. But at the end of the day, like men and women are trying to do the same thing in the gym. We're all trying to, I suppose, not solely trying to improve body composition, but we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to build a little bit of muscle. But what's kind of happened I suppose with classes is that we've taken you know female muscle building and we're using terms like tone shape sculpt to kind of make the term make a female muscle building more palatable um so it's something that always kind of bring their attention to and like we're, we're actually trying to do the same thing in the gym it's just we just um aren't at the stage where we can kind of accept that we're trying to you know build muscle I suppose and to be fair the the language that people use when they market very simple terms like fat loss versus muscle hypertrophy definitely applies to both men and women here as well. Because if, if you're in the kind of male corner of the weight training internet, what you'll see is, you know, phrases like shredded, jacked, yoked, like all these different phrases that are used to describe things that we actually understand. Like when someone says jacked, I know what that means. When someone says shredded, I know what that means. If someone's saying like, are you going for more of a, a kind of a, an aesthetic or a, a bulky look. Again, I know what that means. So there is a certain extent of that that's that's allowable and that's understandable because we don't all like want to be going around talking like these scientific nerds. It's like, what physique are you going for? It's like, well, I think if I had eight kilos of muscle hypertrophy and then roughly five kilos of fat, like, you know, no one does that. They're like, 
yeah, I want, I want that kind of jacked physique, you know? I was like, yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so that applies to men and women. However, it can be very misleading because people do this to men as well. You know, they'll sell programs that are specifically for guys that want to get the jacked look or the aesthetic look. When in fact, like if you look at people who have, you know, an aesthetic look versus a bulky look, they just haven't built as much muscle yet. <laughs> like they're, they're trying to get on that path and they're just have less muscle overall. Um, and it's the same thing um, for women. But the problem is when those terms are used in a more of a, a kind of a marketing spin sense to justify practices that are actually just less efficacious. And in this case, it would be instead of lifting heavy weights, you're lifting light weights that aren't really challenging you, but you're getting a sweat on and your heart rate's increasing. And it's like, yeah, okay, like there's a training effect, but you're actually diluting the effect that would lead the person to the, phys the physique that you're telling them you're giving them. In this case, whether it be sculpting or toning or shaping, like all those things effectively describe the process of increasing your muscle mass and losing body fat. That's typically what it means for a lot of people. If you've already got a good base of muscle mass, becoming more toned might mean just losing body fat. And in that case, the training doesn't really matter all that much. So there are no like specific toning exercises, shaping exercises, sculpting exercises. When you're choosing exercises to improve your physique, you have the option to increase muscle mass in a particular area. So you can, you can absolutely shape your physique in the sense that you can do more shoulders versus doing more chest work, for example. Um, but it's not like there's a specific shape that's added to the muscle by doing particular exercises over others. So I think that's an important entry point. A lot of our listeners probably know that, but maybe you're new to the gym, you're listening to this podcast and you're coming across all these terms. Just know that the exercises that are going to be effective for you as a woman trying to get more toned are actually the same as the bodybuilder who's trying to get to 400 pounds of muscle, you know? Yes. Um, yes. I suppose that kind of uh, kicks it all off and I'm going to start with the question and you, you did kind of answer it but you know let's actually break this down like should men and women train in a different manner like should we be I don't know like say we're all trainers here like we all train a lot of clients I have male female clients we all have you know different clients right um, should we be programming should we be looking at the training that we employ with a woman and a man should we be looking at them differently is there something where we're like okay yeah look this is you know i get my intake form oh this is a woman here's how i train women now obviously there's going to be differences in terms of you know what they want to achieve you know like a guy might want to build certain muscles or you know have certain strength goals or whatever it is and a woman might have you know completely opposite ones but either way what what are the actual differences or are there any differences? Nicola, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I think like it, it's a, it's a hard one to answer because it's, it's yes and no. And I think first you have to look at it in more broader sense and it's not just, I suppose, male and, and female, but where is that person in their lifespan? You know, a woman who's postnatal or um, postmenopausal is going to train completely different, um, not, not to say completely different, but different to someone who's, you know, in their 20s. Um, so I suppose it's first looking at kind of the lifespan, then looking at their goals. Um, and even down within that, you have a lot of, you know, societal differences and why women might train a little bit differently, which I know we touched on already. Um, but, you know, broadly speaking, um, you know, the methods of muscle building, et cetera, are going to be the same. 
Um, you know, there are differences between men and women. Absolutely, there's, you know, anatomical differences, physiological differences, um, which are important and they're, they're good to know. Um, and I, I suppose we will go into more detail about those differences. Um, but like I said, they're things that are, are, are good to know with the back of your head. But the most important thing, I suppose, as you listen to this podcast is trying to coach the person that's in front of you um, and not so much taking so much heed of these differences. Like I said, keeping them, observing them, keeping them in the background, but not again, changing a whole program because um, it's a woman you're looking at what their goals are um, and broadly speaking the general principles um, of getting the person from A to B are going to be pretty similar if not the same. Mm. And, and that kind of means that we're doing a certain amount of volume and we're using you know recovery we'll say as a proxy for the amount of volume we can do right we're like okay how well do you feel you're recovered how well are you progressing that's the same thing we do with all clients regardless of their gender sex whatever right it's like we're looking at them and going okay you're actually under recovered from this whatever 100 sets of work that we're doing per week you're you're actually just not recovering well enough so we need to modify things right um but other than that other than that modification and we'll touch on that in a second again but the real thing that we're focusing on a lot of the time is progressively overloading you know we're actually going okay we have a certain amount of work that we need to do this is the amount of work that you can recover from in terms of your schedule in terms of your body's ability to adapt in terms of you know your desire to go to the gym all of those different factors that play into it you're like this is a good level of training now we might allocate the volume a little bit differently based on the goals like if i had a client that said i want to build my chest i'm not going to be like right well we're doing half of our volume towards you know arms or something you know we're going to be like okay well we want to focus a bit more on that so we're going to put a little bit more volume towards that right but regardless of the gender, the sex of the individual, we're still focusing on progressive overload. And what that means is we're trying to generally it plays out like we're trying to get stronger over time. Right. So we're looking to slowly add weight to the bar, to the machine, to whatever over time. And I think this is one of the areas that women have kind of been sold a lie for a lot of a lot of the you know health and fitness world. Um, they basically even sold like, oh, you know, just go in, get a good sweat on, you know, use the you know, 10 pound dumbbells. And once you're doing the exercise, like this is a shoulder exercise. Like once you're doing that and you feel a little bit of something working in your shoulders, cool. Just you know, really focus on racking up those you know, calories burned. When in reality, when we're training someone and when we're doing our own training, we're looking at, okay, this is the exercise that I want to perform. This is why I'm doing it. You know, it could be for you know the aesthetic appeal it could be like okay i want to build these muscles it could be for a you know, strength reason it could be posture it could be whatever but we're like this is the exercise i'm doing and every single week every single month every single year i want to see that slowly trending up i want to see you know either my technique is improving either my control like i'm keeping a better like, tempo or i'm able to you know, be in control of the weight throughout the movement or what usually it looks like is you know, you're slowly adding a little bit more weight to the bar. And again, this is something that I find a lot of women are hesitant to do. They've been effectively lied to in terms of it's like, oh, just do the exercise. Doesn't matter about the weight. And then there's also this kind of, I don't know what you would say, like societal pressure. Like I remember I was training a, a client before and I had her deadlifting and she was deadlifting like 120 kilos for like five reps and quite strong. And, you know, this is when I worked in like a college gym and I think she was like, 20 at the time like that something like that you know um 
and like a guy literally came over and like i'm i work in the gym so i'm like you know you would think oh i like he knows what he's doing blah 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 guy came over and he's like oh should she be lifting that heavy you know and it's like like why like why would you say that to anyone in general but then also why would you say that to someone who's being trained in that moment and is clearly well capable to do that you know but i feel like that's something that women experience a lot more so there's a variety of factors that are you know culminating here to kind of prevent women from focusing on the one thing that's actually going to be the most important for their long-term progress which is slowly getting stronger over time like no one wants to be weak forever you know you want to get stronger like if i'm getting you to do some chin-ups for example and you're doing the exact same you know strategy like you're, you're able to do one chin-up or something forever like that's not really empowering you know, and we want to be in a position where you're like, okay, you can actually see the progress. And the only way we're going to do that is if we slowly get stronger. But what are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and that, like you're saying, that that is a huge, like a huge barrier with, with a lot of women. And like, we've all experienced that in the gym, you know, someone coming up to us being like, oh, you're lifting very heavy. I know another trainer came up to me one day deadlifting being like, you shouldn't really be doing deadlifts, you know, you're going to get a thick waist, you know, as you get older, you can handle it now, you know, there's, so there's a lot of that kind of um, language going around, again, that can, I suppose, perpetuate fear around lifting weights. Um, but as well, like, I'm always kind of hammering it back to social media as well, there's a lot of people, and again, it, like, in fairness, it's probably how I started out as well, is is looking at, um you know, social media posts, but it's a lot of kind of random workouts. Um, and it's just like, you know, here's like a booty workout or here's the shoulder workout. Um, and what you'll see is a lot of girls coming in and just following a random workout and then we'll go on to Instagram again and then follow another random workout. Um, because that's what they're seeing a lot of people on Instagram doing is, you know, people with big followings. And again, they're just posting different random workouts like every, every day. Cause again, that's what gets you know interaction on social media that's what get the gets the likes but actually what a lot of those um you know um, fitness people on instagram are doing they're not actually following these workouts they're just popping up you know this shoulder workout but they probably have their own workout in the background that is you know um does have progression in it and progressive overload um so that's kind of the things that that you don't see so there's i suppose a lot of like mismatch in in um, communication there so what you see someone doing on social media is actually might be completely different from what they're doing in their own training yeah and like uh, it's it's un understandable in terms of you see this influencer doing this and it's understandable to see them do that because like imagine you literally posted the same like let's say you train four days per week right and you're like right this is my lower body workout and like every single week you're just posting the same lower body workout people are going to be like this is boring you know i don't care about this you do the same thing i saw this exact same post last week and like the only thing that's changing in that is you know they might either get a, a couple extra reps here and there or they might be lifting a slightly heavier weight and people are looking at that going that's not like sexy. That's not like flashy. That's not like, oh, there's a new exercise that I've never seen, you know, for training the glutes or training this muscle group or whatever. You're like, oh, I'm definitely going to try that, you know? And again, that happens to guys as well. But I definitely feel that women are exposed to that way more. And it really does, in my opinion and my experience, like really does hold women back. Like if you're just doing these random workouts, like, yeah, look, we all have a bias towards getting people to exercise in whatever manner that looks like you know i'm like i think all of us would agree that i would rather see someone in the gym doing a random workout than just sitting at home doing nothing you know and um, sure. but it also 
it gets people to focus on the wrong thing it gets people to focus on like oh i just need to have this like calorie burn i just need to feel like i'm sweating i just need to feel like you know i, I just worked really hard in the gym when in reality it's like you can do so much more like you're putting in all this effort you're putting in all this time and you're just not getting the results that you want because we're not actually focusing on the right stuff yeah absolutely you any thoughts there gary no straight facts man completely agree i mean the same thing happens in um with guys like you know you'll have oh try this giant set or this uh shoulder burner workout uh which in isolation just does absolutely nothing so you know you'll come across like that they are the things that trend as nicola alluded to that you know if you've got a a booty workout or an ab workout when you're lean for example like those things always trend because you're generally the person's generally showing off their physique just masquerading it as a workout advice um but when you put those things in as part of a a well-constructed program that's perfectly fine and i think if you understand the purpose of exercise content on instagram or tiktok or whatever and you see all right this is one workout but this is just one workout in a whole series of many months and years of training that I need to be doing. If you can put that in context and apply all the principles that we've discussed in terms of progressive overload, et cetera, then that's perfectly fine. Uh, but don't think that there's any one special workout structure that's going to get you that body you desire. The reality is that most men or women who build physiques that are admirable, they do a lot of the same stuff with very small variations here or there for many, many years. You know, it's about celebrating the extra rep that you got. It's about celebrating the extra two and a half kilos on the bar per month, the extra one chin up that you got. These are the realities of progression. Um, And it's very difficult to see that sometimes on social media. There are some people that I follow who've been training for 10, 15, 20 years. And if they get like one significant personal best on their main lift per year, they're pretty happy about that. And that's just the reality of long-term training. And most of their workouts, if you go on their pages, you'll see them doing barbell squats, doing barbell squats, doing barbell squats. And then they're doing maybe a front squat and a safety bar squat. But when they're trying to improve their squat strength or they're trying to build their lower body muscle mass, most of their training is pretty much the exact same, especially when it comes to like strength and powerlifting work. But even if you go to the physique side of things, I think one of the good examples on Instagram that is incredibly boring is probably uh, Dr. Mike Isretel's Instagram page. Like he posts his training um, all the time, but like it's literally just like him doing almost the same exercises, almost the same weight, like all of the time. Like here's my AM Thursday workout. Here's my PM Thursday workout. And you and then people will ask him questions about, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And he's just like, uh, it's week three of my mesocycle and I've added one set here are my RP, RIR targets or whatever. It just seems so boring and bland, but it's the reality of the training that actually leads to significant progress, even if it doesn't uh, seem very sexy at face value. And especially with like physique development, like you're going to find here's a handful of exercises that really work well for my body, you know, and really work well for my goals. Like, why are you going to be doing all these random exercises that are potentially less effective? They're not really know great for your body like yeah they still get a nice stimulus but it's not like it's very hard to get stronger on them like you're going to see people okay these are bread and butter exercises i respond really well to them i find i get a really good connection with them 
Like, why would you just throw them out every single week? Oh, just rotate away, get rid of that exercise, bring something else in. Like, stick to the stuff that, you know, targets the muscles you want to target, targets the adaptations you want to target that work really well for your body and just get brutally strong on all of them, right? And um, like, that's, that's the way, you know, you progress with training over the years, you know? Um, but this brings me to the next question. And this is a common question you see in the female physique world, the, anyone in the health and fitness industry, that are trans clients that are women or that are women themselves. Like when we're talking about rate of progression, right? When we talk about it in terms of, you know, guys training in the gym, there's kind of this thought process of like, oh, well, I'm just going to keep adding weight to the bar every week, right? Every single week, just add a little bit extra to the bar, whether it's, you know, 1.25 kilos either side, even if it's like, you know, micro plates, it's like half a kilo per side, whatever. And um, which just as an aside, as a woman, micro plates and any of those kind of like very small uh loadable plates game changer right um which kind of goes in with this discussion um but when we're talking about that kind of rate of progression what's realistic for a woman to expect versus a man because you know men tend to progress with training a lot quicker right and there's a variety of like you know physiological reasons for that um but how do we how do we actually you know interpret that boots on the ground like we're actually in the gym what are we actually going to do about that information are you going to go okay well i can't progress every week or am i just going to go try for smaller progressions like how are we actually dealing with that um what's your experience there nicola yeah so if you if you look at um men and women particularly kind of younger men and women kind of under the age of 35 you'll actually see women progressing a little bit more quickly in the gym kind of both untrained and that probably comes down to um, women start off at, I suppose, a lower strength level, um, particularly, I suppose, guys might kind of grow up a little bit more athletic and might have a baseline kind of larger um, muscle mass. Um, it's also probably because guys are idiots. So they'll just go into the gym and be like, yeah, of course I can, you know, yeah. those on the bar there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and girls um, will have a lower upper body muscle mass in comparison to men as well. So you will see a, a bigger strength gain or muscle mass gain um, early on initially with women. Um, but then after that, yeah, it will, I suppose, come down to more of um, a fear of weights, not knowing how to push it. Um, again, a lot of women won't be involved in sports when they're younger. So if you think even guys at GA training, you're still probably doing things like um, push-ups, you're still doing, you know, um, kind of body weight exercises, kind of warming up. Um, so there's, they probably have even more kind of neuromuscular control starting off um, than women would. So I think there's a few more issues kind of like with neuromuscular control, proprioception with women starting off again, just be, if that kind of base from sports isn't there early on. Um, so yeah, it's fear of weights and those things as well. Um, and starting off at a, um, a lower um, muscular mass base as well. Mm. And then when we're actually in the gym, like say you're training someone, like are you pushing them every single week to be like, right, where is the progression? What are we looking for here? You know, like obviously, and we'll touch on it in, in a moment, we also have to layer on the menstrual cycle. But, you know, in general, what are we looking at here? What are we looking at in terms of a rate of progression? Because obviously, look, this is hugely dependent on where you are in your training career, you know, what you're actually aiming towards. But are we looking at, you know, you, you've given this program to this woman. Are you going, right, I want to see you slowly start increasing the weight 
when you're saying that to them, like, what's your expectation and what's the expectation you find they have? You know, are they thinking like, oh, slowly increase the weights? Are they thinking, oh, that means five kilos over the next, you know, 10 months? Or are they thinking like, that means five kilos next week? Yeah, so one of the conversations that I'll have in the beginning is, uh, I suppose, different ways that we can progress in the gym. So whether that's um, adding on weights, whether that's, you know, adding volume or whether that's just getting better at the movement. Um, so that that's a huge one as well. I think that that's underappreciated and it'll be different between exercises as well. I'll be like, okay, for this one, we're trying to work more on movement quality. Maybe we're trying to work more on movement quality for squats. Um, maybe for things like RDL, that's maybe something that we're trying to move up in weight with. Um, but what I'll generally coach in the beginning is there will be a bigger increase in strength in the beginning. So maybe um, at the start, once we have an RDL down, maybe we will be adding 5 kg um, each side to the bar. And then after that, that starts to slow down. But again, we're looking at things like reps in reserve. We're looking at um, kind of form breakdown um, and how well that they recover from the sessions. So um, we'll be looking at a bigger rate of progression in the beginning, like I said, maybe kind of five kgs each side. And then after that, it'll slow down. But it, it, it'll it just, again, depend on the individual. Um, yeah, I think something that's really important here as well is that when we talk about rates of progression, um, both in terms of like when we're discussing it as coaches, but also often in, in research, it's the way it's quantified. We're talking about relative changes in strength. So um, this actually becomes really important at lower levels of strength, because if you're starting off, let's say, um, and you're only doing overhead presses with, let's say, the bar. OK, you're just doing the bar, which is actually difficult enough for people starting out. Um, that's that's 20 kilos. So for you to add five kilos, which is just two point five per side, looks like absolutely nothing but that's a 25% increase in load on the bar. Like that is a lot. Like if, if any advanced lifter who let's say they overhead press um, 80 kilos, like there's not a chance in the world that they're expecting to see hundred kilos um, on the bar anytime soon. You know, it's just not going to happen. And so it's even more apparent with dumbbells, you know, yeah. it's like you go from a 10 kilo dumbbell to a 12.5 kilo dumbbell. You're like, that's still a 25% fucking increase there. Exactly. So that's something that you really do have to keep in mind um, if you're starting off from a lower level, because very often, even like weight training, weight training machines, the jumps in weight that we use, they're actually pretty much standard at lower and higher weights. So that's something that's quite difficult um, to recalibrate. You know, you will see that on some machines, the um, intervals that you can change, you know, on the selectorized machines are smaller as you get to the lower weights but some of them aren't. So that can be something that's difficult to deal with. And that's why Patty's suggesting things like um, micro plates because you're able to, or micro loading because you're able to make smaller little jumps. And if that's not something you have access to, what I often suggest to people when they're trying to apply a progressive overload, like let's say they're that person with the 20 kilo overhead press, I would start with just trying to add a rep, you know, try to add a rep next week, week after let's add a rep to two of our sets week after let's add a rep to three of our sets and we'll just bump up the reps until we're at the point where we've we're doing let's say two to four more reps which might correlate with us being able to add that five kilos to the bar so that's something you have to do as well um as a woman or as anyone that's starting off at a lower level of strength relative to the standard jumps and weight that are available in the gym um because yeah that's that's just something that's that's super important 
And on that as well, like you do see this all the time, right? Guys, girls, regardless, you know, if you get stuck at that a certain weight and the next jump up can be really hard to hit. And then like you're doing, like Gary said there, you're like, okay, I'm just going to add some reps over time. You know, I can't really add weight. The next jump up in weight, it's, you know, five kilos and there's just no way I'm getting that, you know, like you might be able to add a couple of reps over time, but some people, you know, certainly on some exercises, even adding a, a rep can be really difficult, you know? And so in those circumstances, we would generally do either one of two things, either we would just start uh lower like do a a lower intensity in terms of like keep like three reps in reserve at all times you know if you've got three reps in reserve you know you definitely have three reps to build over time you know but even still you do that you can still get to the stage where all of your sets are kind of like at zero reps in reserve you got to the max and where do you go from there and generally what we'll do then is we'll just add a set you know and we might build up the reps that way in terms of you were doing three sets of eight you know you've maxed out the amount of uh, weight you can lift for that you can't do another rep with any of those okay we're just going to do another rep another set you know and we might even only do like three reps on that set you know and we're just going to build up the reps of that until we're at four sets of eight you know and then you see the progress over time because when we're talking about progressive overload it really is just about doing a little bit more than you have previously done you know like staying at that kind of capacity of this is my maximum ability i'm just a little bit below that so that you're slowly inching that maximum capacity up and up and up you know so we just want to look at some sort of progression all times you know and again people get so confused by this because they see people in the gym and they don't see the small progressions they don't see the oh i added like uh, 1.25 kilos here and a 1.25 kilos here and you know i just clicked the out of the small amount of weight you know like say some machines have those little weights that you can add on to them you know it's like a half a kilo or something you know like those things you don't really see that over time you just see oh they're doing the chest press machine again you know you don't see that oh they've actually just increased it a little bit or they got an extra rep here and again that's the boring stuff you know but that's the actual stuff that produces the results that we want right so Again, in my mind, at least when we're looking at male and female training, like you might see a slower rate of return in absolute terms when we're talking about women, because you might not see like a guy might be like, oh, I'll just jump up five kilos, but you still see relatively similar actual rate of return, you know, like relative, I suppose would be the word. Um, whereas like you're increasing like one to 2% each week, you know, but obviously if you're starting at 20 kilos versus starting at hundred kilos, like you're going to see the actual one to 2% a lot quicker in the hundred kilos, you know? Um, but related to this, especially because we've just talked about, you know, the overall training plan, are we looking at doing more volume for women, right? Because there's two reasons we could potentially recommend this. And in some research, you know, you see this elucidated and in people's experiences, you also see this kind of elucidated, elucidated and also alluded to. Um, and that's like a women need to do more volume right? They can handle more volume. Now, again, we can get into physiological reasons for that, but I actually think that's less important than the actual practical on the ground stuff, right? And when we're talking about handling more volume, usually that means more work in general, right? It's not necessarily like the intensity, it's not the, the weights lifted, but it's the amount of sets done, it's the amount of reps done, it's all that kind of stuff added together, right? So when we're looking at that, are we looking at this and going, you know, women need to do more volume or women can do more volume. So we should give them more volume, right? Should we be doing more sets, more reps? Now, obviously, look, people have real lives. They don't want to be in the gym six days per week. So there's a practical aspect of it there. But 
that aside, what are we thinking on the, the volume stuff? Yeah, so I think that there's still, like you're saying, there's a ceiling with this. And it, again, it, it just comes back to the individual, like, you know, the someone's volume is going to, the amount of volume one, one woman can handle can be completely different to someone else. And I think just prescribing more isn't necessarily better. It's whatever someone can recover from and what fits into their schedule mostly. Um, that's the way that I would think about it anyway. And I definitely wouldn't prescribe more volume to someone just because they're a woman. Um, I think that that classically comes from the, the idea that women have more um, type one muscle fibers and the slow twitch ones. I think that's generally where, where that idea comes from, um, which I think what we're seeing now is that there are a lot of studies are saying that there actually isn't a difference really between men and women um, with the, the with the distribution of, of the type one and the type two. So I, yeah, it, the more volume thing isn't isn't classically something that I would um, I, yeah, prescribe, I suppose. 100%. Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mostly agree. I think that... Um volume for me at least in in practice it's never really about reaching the ceiling of what i can get the person to do it's almost always a practical concern you know how long can i keep someone's interest in the gym um how much time can they allocate to the gym at least with my clients like i know that when you encounter some bodybuilding clients that they will just do as much volume as they as you want them to do um but yeah i don't run into that issue too much now in terms of like just um empirically i there i think there is there there is um evidence and physiological basis to suggest that at higher rep ranges women maintain their um performance a bit better um so for example at 70 percent of one rm you might expect a woman to get um more reps uh, if taken to failure but again that's something that's going to vary a lot based on past training experience and everything so um i think that's hard to say like you do see as well that you know at Basically, the closer you go to the extreme endurance events, the uh, more the sex differences start to wash out. So whereas at the maximal power and strength side of things, men will obviously dominate there. Um, so that there, there are clear physiological differences. I just, I just don't think that there's enough juice there really to justify actually, you know, making prophylactic changes in training programming you know i would be i would be reactive in that sense in in the sense that if i'm observing male or female that a person needs more volume i'll give them more volume if they need less i'll give them less but i'm not going into programming for a client thinking right this person's female so i'm going to increase their volume by five to ten percent or twenty percent or whatever it's just not something i do anyway yeah and this is the thing as well like estrogen seems to be glucose sparing right so this could just be an artifact of the fact that women potentially have a little bit more juice left in the tank you know compared to a guy so if you get a guy to do you know three sets and he's absolutely gassed at the end of it like because of the effect, beneficial effect of estrogen on you know maintaining glucose you might have a woman do the same three sets and be like my performance is still higher at the end of that because they weren't tapping into as much glucose you know if this exercise demands glucose you know whereas the guy wasn't tapping into as much fat stores you know so that is one thing which kind of makes sense but again it comes down to a practical thing here where i'm like look realistically most people have 40 minutes to an hour to train you know so i'm not going to be like oh well just because you're a woman you need to do 20 percent more you know just 
just because, you know, your, your hormones and stuff, you know, it's like, it doesn't really bear out in the actual practical real world. So we're going to set a, a program be like, right, how's your recovery? How are you? How's your progression? Okay, cool. All of that stuff is on point. Cool. Well, why would we necessarily need to do more? Now we can definitely fill in a bit more if you're like, okay, you know what, I actually want to work on these muscles. And I feel my recovery is good. I feel like I'm not, you know, anywhere near my maximal recovery capacity or maximal training capacity. So I want to do a bit more. We still take into account that recovery capacity. We still take into account the practical, like, oh, you've 60 minutes to train, but we might be able to add a little bit more volume in other areas in terms of, we might do something like a superset. You might do like, oh, I want to you know train my glutes a bit more. We're training an upper body and we're pairing that with some lighter, uh, lower body stuff, just to get a little bit more blood flow to the area, get a little bit more tension on the muscles, that kind of stuff. Like I sometimes do that with clients, but in general, look, realistically, we're still sticking to the very same principles and practicalities uh, when we're designing a training program. Now, Gary, you said something interesting, which I actually don't know if I 100% agree with, which is, well, you said it in terms of absolute, but I know people will get onto it and be like, well, what's the story there? But in terms of like the strength potential between men and women, right? Is there actually a difference here? Right. Because like, obviously, like, let's just use, uh, I don't know, like powerlifting. Right. If we're just saying like, that's that's what strength means, you know, like objectively, the guys are lifting heavier weights. Right. They're, they simply are. Right. But is this just an artifact of lean muscle mass? Right. So if you have a woman, you know, like, let's say even like you're a tall woman, you know, you're like six foot two or something. Right. Generally speaking, if you compare the same two athletes, like a six foot two male and a six foot two female, like the male is going to have more muscle mass. Now, this is an artifact of, you know, androgens are just, you know, great at building muscle. That's why athletes take them. <laughs> um, so there's that. But overall, is there a difference here? Now, we can get into the anatomy, and this is why I'm asking you, Gary, but then also I want to just see in terms of like your experience as well, Nicola here, in terms of, you know, you see people training in the gym, you're a woman yourself, you talk to women, Um what are your thoughts, Gary? Is there a, an anatomical reason that women are not going to be able to reach the strength potential of a guy, right? Versus is this just an artifact of you know, lean muscle mass? Like if you were just to you know, uh, equate for lean mass or equate for androgen load, <laughs> is it the same? What are, your, what are your thoughts, Gary? In terms of in like powerlifting? Is well, that... just in terms of strength. I'm saying like powerlifting is obviously like, you know, you know, one RM, blah, blah, blah. Now, see, this, this, obviously, this argument gets very convoluted because there's a whole host of factors that go into it. For example, like androgens are great at you know, giving you more uh, drive, you know, giving you more like uh, hyped up central nervous system, like stimulation. So like, again, like that's why certain drugs like androgens, they take them before powerlifting meets like halotestin and stuff, you know. But anyway, um, just in general, Gary, strength, whatever way you want to, talk about it whether it's absolute relative whatever yeah so uh, like uh, my my previous comment i said that men men are going to dominate on the the strength and power side of things and that's absolutely true from an absolute perspective like there's there's no real debating that um however in terms of the like if you were to as you look at more relative measures and you correct for more things um, I think, like, as you said, I think lean body mass is probably the biggest predictor um, of strength. And that also goes for within sex differences in terms of if you look at male powerlifting performance, the biggest predictor of being stronger is having more muscle mass, you know, so it's not like there's 
some magic ingredient to strength beyond muscle mass. Um, there are other things that are at play. As you said, um, testosterone has significant psychological effects, both in terms of being like the presence of testosterone and androgens um, in the moment, but also long-term in terms of shaping one's psychology. Like there are um, specific androgenic effects um, over time, for example, like male aggression. And as you say, drive here in this case. So those things that like both of us are absolute fucking idiots because we've been exposed to testosterone our whole life. Yeah. Risk-taking, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that, that is there. And that does, that probably does play some role in uh, performance differences. There are also effects of um, hormones on, for example, um, connective tissue remodeling. So even um, the strength of collagen, the, uh, relax, the, the laxity of ligaments, which is one of the reasons, one of many reasons why there are sex differences in, for example, um, ACL injury rates much higher in women. Um, so there are, there are these physiological things that will determine <clears throat> uh, collagen, uh, collagen and connective tissue strength. Connective tissue is not just tendons and ligaments. It also runs within your muscles and is responsible for force distribution um, longitudinally, but also um, in a transverse manner. So there's uh, those connective tissue aspects. Um, there's also um, bone strength sides to this. Now, I don't think this plays too much of a, a role in performance differences in strength. Um, men do typically have higher bone mineral density. There is some bone to muscle crosstalk. Again, hard to say if that plays a significant role here. Um, more, more broadly, anatomically, there are clearly differences in the male and female uh, skeleton. So there are differences, especially when you look at uh, pelvic girdle width um, and hip width, uh, Q angle, etc. There are these things in the lower body that determine strength performance. Um, and also like levels of muscle mass in different parts of the body. So I would expect a woman to do a lot better in terms of maintaining relative strength standards compared to a man in lower body lifts than I would with upper body lifts. You see that a lot with women who have ridiculously impressive squat and deadlift strength, and maybe the bench ends up lagging behind in a powerlifting perspective. So I think overall, I think there probably are, um, there are residual effects beyond just muscle mass that probably account for, um, males being stronger even in a relative sense but i think i think when you when you break things down to the relative level and you correct for some of those things i think uh you know a woman can still expect to get incredibly strong if she trains hard what do you think patty well i personally look like a, an inverted pyramid um so my shoulders are like this and my waist is like this you don't really see that in women so clearly there's like anatomical differences that are going to you know benefit me in certain aspects and there's going to be anatomical differences that benefit women in certain aspects but i always find that when you do kind of correlate for or you correct for a lot of these things and especially lean mass like it kind of becomes a wash now that's a little bit different when we talk about like sporting performance like that's a little bit different than strength especially when we're talking about like relative strength like you know, if you're a 50 kilo female, like obviously you're not going to be as strong as a hundred kilo male or a hundred kilo female, you know, there's going to be differences there. But if we're talking about 50 kilo male, 50 kilo female, like if we correct for muscle mass and a few other things, you know, it, it kind of becomes fairly similar. You know, it's not a huge difference, at least in my experience, you know, again, different from a sporting context, because 
there's a few other things in terms of, you know, you know, the brain stuff as well as like just hormonal stuff in general. But what are your thoughts, Nicola? Yeah, definitely. I think just echoing exactly what you guys said. And I think guys as well, it, I think we have the same amount of muscle fibers. So I think with guys, there's a, a greater cross-sectional area. So I suppose that could have a potential to produce more force as well. Um, yeah. And I think that as well, like what you touched on there, Paddy, is that um, like power, when you look at powerlifting um, and also if you look at extreme endurance events, you're actually, you end up washing out some of the sex differences. Like ultimately what you do is if you look at strength, like in powerlifting, it's about as pure representation of strength as you'll get. When you look at extreme endurance, you're getting the purest representation of just like basic cardiorespiratory physiology as you'll get. Whereas when you get into more complex sports, like for example, um, the NFL or rugby and these types of things, now you're dealing with many different um, components of fitness that are colliding together um, and you see far more significant sex differences. Um, so that's something that's that's quite interesting. Like, again, if you if you go to um, you might know more than about me about this than me, Patty, but I think uh, shooting as well as an area where you see very similar between males and females in like competitive shooting. Um, Cause again, what you're doing there is you're just washing it down to like very specific skills and you're taking away the kind of chaos. So you might say that women just can't handle chaos or <laughs> I'm what a joke. Um, well, in, but, in shooting, uh, women actually have, uh, some, sometimes have an advantage because they generally have a lower resting heart rate. Yeah. That's one of the main determinants of shooting success. You know, but it's interesting as well, because again, you're saying, oh, maybe it's the chaos thing. I know you're saying that jokingly, but like, there's a reason they even have like in chess, there's differences, like they have different leagues for women and for men, but that's not necessarily because, oh, like men, big brain, we're smart, blah, blah, blah. It's because like men are more like, uh, not, or sorry, women are more risk averse, you know? So men will take these risks and as a result, like they're able to or they do things in a chess game that women wouldn't do, you know? So it's like, it actually becomes a, an unfair advantage. This is why they also do in like testing in like uh, schools these days, they don't do that uh, negative marking, you know, because that disadvantages women because guys are like, ah, fuck it. Negative marking. Who cares? Well, just, Let's go. <laughs> Whereas women are like, Oh, like I'll actually have to weigh up the consequences here. I actually have to think whether this is a smart move to just fucking take the box, you know? So there's so many, when we're talking about complex sport, um, there's so many variables that go into this that it's like, you can't just break it down to the actual like physical body, you know? Yeah. Women are not dumb enough to do the super shit that's required in some sports, you know? So that's, I think that's, that's the take home point. It's what it is. <laughs> but they're a victim of their own brains. <laughs> um, but we've been talking about resistance training a lot. Is, are there any differences in terms of cardiovascular training? Right. Is there anything that we should be thinking about there? Because in my experience, not really, like, I don't really see anything that I'd be like, like, I know a lot of people and we're going to touch on this next. People are like, oh, well, there's differences in terms of hormones across the menstrual cycle. So we should maybe do certain types of training at certain stages. But in general, if we're just talking about the, the training that people do, you know, whether it's uh, aerobic training, anaerobic training, whatever, like, I don't really see a huge difference. But what, what are your guys thoughts? Um, so with I suppose with, with cardiovascular training, I, I wouldn't see he, there are differences in like VO2 max and that kind of thing between men and women, um, like we were saying about resting heart rate. 
um, even blood pressure, like so women have when corrected for um, you know, uh, body size and um, muscle mass, they'll still have about about 10% lower VO2 max, but how that kind of translates um into practice, like I don't know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I I, I wouldn't really consider it when programming for my clients at all. Um and I wouldn't um I know we're gonna talk about the menstrual cycle as well, but um it, yeah, it's not really something that I'd I'd hugely consider um cardiovascular training within the menstrual cycle either. Yeah, VO2 max is a pretty shit marker, to be honest. Um, I just don't use it really. Well, it's a nice little proxy there. Like Apple Watch gives you your VO2 max based on your walking. So I'm like, yeah, it's cool to, to know, but I'm not going to go in and fucking start testing this in a lab and stuff, you know? But Gary, what are your thoughts on cardiovascular training for women? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that comes to mind here as I suppose a consideration would be um, the higher, higher, higher risk and higher rate of occurrence of uh, bone stress injuries and... Uh, relative energy deficiency in, in is it in sport or syndrome what do they call it these days reds relative energy deficiency sport. In sport. Yeah. yeah sport um basically all of that we did a podcast on this recently enough i think but um all of the uh downsides of having relative energy deficiency uh they seem to be magnified to some degree in women now they're it's not not necessarily that that men can't get bone stress injuries and be on that spectrum. They absolutely can. Um, it just seems that you know women have a higher uh, risk here, and it's something that I would be concerned in women who are doing a lot of uh, running or taking up a lot of running um, as a new activity. In particular, it's something that I actually had a couple of consultations uh, with triage in relation to during the pandemic because we had a few lifters who had come to us who had taken up running because they hadn't been lifting. And, you know, you saw early on in the pandemic that a lot of people were just going out and running as much as they could because they had nothing else to do. Um, and it was a few cases of, you know, medial tibial stress syndrome and stress, stress fractures, um, tibial stress fractures as a result of that. So that is something that can uh, be of concern for women. And naturally, along with that, with endurance training more generally, the uh, amenorrhea is another you know, big thing that's of, of relevance there. Um, so if you are doing a lot of cardio training, it's obviously very energy intensive. One of the things about cardio training is that you can go out and do you know, four hours of cardio and eat yourself back to feeling pretty good. You know, no one's going to do four hours of weight training to failure, but you can do four hours of, of cardio. Um, and that can lead to very significant energy deficits, um, low energy availability, and the cops, the consequences as a result of that. So that's the only thing that massively comes to mind. Again, I'm not programming um, cardio differently, really, uh, between men and women otherwise. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back to the amenorrhea stuff. But before yeah. we get on to that stuff, we actually have to just be like, right, here's a, a normal menstrual cycle, you know, a regularly cycling woman, you know, they always say, again, this archetypical 28 days, it's never like perfectly 28 days, but we're going to use that as the, you know, the, oh, here's how it works, you know, the whatever. Um, but are we changing our training as a result of that? Because you see a lot of this in the research these days, you see this a lot in, you know, let's say forward thinking individuals that are trainers, they're like, okay, you know, the menstrual cycle is something we should take account of. So how do we take account of that, you know, with our training? And there's all these you know, relatively complex systems, uh, devised protocols. They're like, well, during this stage of your cycle, you know, you're more likely to 
you know, not be able to handle volume, for example, or this part of your cycle, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to express your true strength a bit more during this stage. You know, you're better able to oxidize fats. This stage, you're able to better oxidize uh, glucose and they'll change the cardiovascular training as a result of that. But what are your thoughts on this? Cause like, obviously I know my own thoughts on this and you know, how I program for clients, but Nicola, what, what, what are your where, where are you starting with this? Is this something that like, obviously we've talked about it before in terms of this is something we take into account. We're like, this is something that we need to know, but how are we modifying the training as a result of that? Are we modifying it straight off the bat going in or is this something that we're modifying after the fact? Yeah, so I'm really enjoying a lot of the research that's coming out and I think it's, it's really showing, it, it's great that we're showing more of an interest in um, menstrual cycle and how it relates to training. So as we know, a lot of the, the earlier research was all just um, involved with men and then we we're just trying to translate that research into women. Um, and as we know, with the menstrual cycle, it didn't perfectly um, translate and we know that there are um, more sex differences than than we probably originally thought um, but overwhelmingly at this stage um, the research doesn't point to that there's any massive um, benefit to programming um, training for the menstrual cycle um, but I think that the the differences in in between the different phases I think they are good to know in the background of your head um, there, there's something to observe what definitely um, I will never um, program someone based off their menstrual cycle from like the get-go if they sign up and they're a woman I'm like okay this is we're doing menstrual cycle training you know it's definitely not something that I would do um, but through tracking and through tracking the different phases the different days how they're feeling um kind of sleep stress um how their training feels at different stages in their cycle um that is something that we will then um begin to adjust and i think that's like relatively fair thing to do um so i don't know do you want me to kind of go through the the different phases and what kind of the research is why not why not? Uh, here we go. So, so like you're saying, typical 28 days. We know that that's not typical for every woman split into two main phases, um, to the follicular phase and then our luteal phase. We have a couple of different hormones that kind of rise and fall throughout that. So right bang in the middle, um, you've ovulation as well. So the first half, um, our follicular phase, the first five days are menstruation. Our hormones are typically flatlined, estrogen and progesterone being the two main hormones. Again, just to simplify it, I'll just talk about those two. Um, so the first couple of days during menstruation, the, those two are kind of flatlined. And our, our, our hormone our hormonal profile, I suppose, most closely resembles a man at this stage. Um, and then after that, you see estrogen start to rise. And that's typically our anabolic hormone. So during the first half, the follicular phase, what the, the research, what a lot of people are suggesting um, is that we can handle um, more volume here and that we can handle um, heavier loads. You'll be hitting more PBs. And that's, to, that's due to that rise in estrogen. Um, so then you hit the the middle of the cycle ovulation and again that that's where you're seeing the the biggest um peak in estrogen and again people are saying hit your pbs during this time um and then during the second half the luteal phase where we have more of a progesterone uh, predominance again estrogen is still rising it's fallen but when it's rising again it's reaching its secondary peak um and we see a reduced um ability to recover so if we were saying you know um 
kind of decrease volume and maybe do other forms of exercise like yoga or you know brisk walking that that sort of thing um, you'll also be hitting kind of PMS symptoms during the second half of the luteal phase again which have its own psychological impact on training um, but overwhelmingly um, each woman's menstrual cycle looks so different um, and those fluctuations in hormones and how they affect um, every woman is so different so it, it's not something again a client that comes to me that does predominantly strength training programming like brisk walking for their second half of the cycle when maybe pms symptoms aren't something that really affects them it just it isn't appropriate um so i think it, it's it's good to keep in the background of your head and i, I suppose particularly um if you are um, a male coach um, coaching a female client um, to know that PMS symptoms might be rising at a certain time or how the menstruation, like the first days of the period, how they can affect a woman be between, again, mood, between cramps, um, lightheadedness, whatever it is. Um, and not saying, hey, the research said that actually HIIT training is really good during your period and someone's like doubled over with cramps, you know. Um, so it is it is nice to, again, have at the back of your head, but I wouldn't program off it in any way, shape or form. Yeah, hundred percent. And Gary, what, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like something that you'll see probably as like a a recurring theme in the things I talk about in my social media are the the effects of suggestion on how you feel. Um, so I'm very interested in like placebo and nocebo type of effects and how information delivered by healthcare professionals or others impacts how you feel day to day. We've talked about this so much on the podcast in relation for to like pain posture, injury rehab, those types of things. But it's also very, very relevant here because like an example that I you know, would have used earlier in the week is if you're talking about sleep and um, you tell people who've slept the exact same, let's say you tell half of them that they've slept above average amounts of REM sleep and you tell them all about the benefits of that. You tell the other half that they've slept below average um, sleep and then you assess their cognitive functioning thereafter those who have been told that they slept better perform better those that have been told they've slept worse perform worse so what they're told manifests in real life in terms of differences in how they act and how they function cognitively and the same thing happens here um, or can happen here with the menstrual cycle so if you're reading all this information about when you're going to be weakest when you're going to be strongest etc you'll probably fulfill that prophecy uh, because you're going to be going into your workouts on the days where you've been told you're going to perform poorly with little expectation of yourself. And you're going to be thinking you're going to be maybe a bit more aware. Oh, you know, I heard this triage guy, triage guy say that back pain is worse during my period. You know what? Actually, now that I pay attention to it, it actually is kind of bad. They're the types of things that start to happen. So I think you can you can find a happy medium here where you realize that Physiolog physiology absolutely is real like you can't just think your way out of these things and for you you may very well have very distinct differences in performance but I would still go into each session with the expectation of yeah I'm going to perform well no big deal let's go um, and not to you know expect yourself to be performing poorly even if it's just based on last month because like we that's one of the things you see in menstrual cycle research more generally is that You'll see studies published on like uh, premenstrual um, syndrome or even PMDD, like basically symptoms related to the menstrual cycle. You'll see them published based on a single cycle. Um, and there's not just massive variation 
between women, but there's also massive variation within women between cycles in the uh, occurrence of these symptoms. Same thing goes for performance. So don't just think, oh, I tracked my cycle last month um, and I had a bad day in the gym. That's going to be the case going forward because we know there's massive variation. And that also occurs on the physiological level as well. When you look at the hormonal variations, both in terms of the absolute levels of ovarian hormones and the relative changes in those which, uh, throughout the cycle, that also varies between cycles. So trying to be like really dial in your tracking of your cycle, very, very difficult thing to do. Something that's worth doing to some extent, like you're saying, Nicola, to notice if you're having specific uh, symptoms or specific declines in performance, but notice them as little mental notes first. Like don't notice them with the expectation that that is now your destiny from cycle to cycle. 100%. Go on, Nicola. No, it, it, it's just with, with my own clients, the way that I would track it isn't so much. Um, so you, we would track, I suppose, if there's a, if there's a strength increase um, with, with any session and just another, another section will be what day of the cycle is. So we're not trying to necessarily find, um, you know, a, a correlation between them. It's just taking the whole picture. And, and as well, you're not looking um someone's performance um like you're not looking at the menstrual cycle and in isolation of someone's performance like you also obviously have other factors like your stress like your sleep how they're eating um so and i know all of those systems can can play on each other um but i think putting you know everything down to the menstrual cycle again just isn't isn't the, the right way to go about it mm. and this is going to be i well in my opinion at least going to be more and more important as we get more technologically advanced because like say for example like i have a whoop i know gary has a group i don't know if you do nicola but like they have now introduced like a temperature tra- tracking right and that's something that you could use to see where you are in your cycle or at least use as a kind of proxy now i don't know if it's uh, externally validated or you know scientifically validated to use it for that purpose but i could definitely if i was a businessman which i am uh, <laughs> i would be like that's something that you know you could easily sell to women as oh, this is going to help you really understand your cycle, really understand where you are in your cycle because your temperature does change throughout your cycle. So, you know, we could use that as a proxy. And if you're starting to get all these, you know, tracking devices and different things that are telling you, just like HRV, for example, and it's like, oh, your performance is going to be shit today. Like Gary was saying, like that can really throw you off. If you're getting, oh, you have this new female fitness tracker, watch thing, whatever, and it's telling you, yeah, you're going to have shit performance today. Like you're probably going to have shit performance that day if you really buy into it. So that is something that you need to really be aware of and really pay attention to. And again, I think it's going to become more and more important as we get through the industrial revolution that we're currently in. <laughs> um, but I want to finally just touch on this point related to how we're, we're managing this stuff in a more practical way. And I know we all kind of do this in, in different ways. We just teach auto-regulation, right? So rather than being like, all right, you know, you're in week three, this is what we can expect. We're going into sessions going like, yeah, you're going to base your, you know, the weights you choose, you're going to base like how much work you do based on how you're feeling, how you feel recovered, how well your sleep was, all of that kind of stuff. So we're auto-regulating our training. And, you know, some days we might do a little bit more. We're really feeling it. We're really like, yes, 
I'm, I'm, I want to push the weights this, this session. Some days you're going to be like, you know what? Actually, my sleep last night wasn't great. My stress is a bit higher. And, you know, I'm feeling some, you know, PMS symptoms. You know, I'm going to take it a little bit easier in the gym. So we're using some form of autoregulation. And that could look like, you know, using reps in reserve or, or PE, or it could look like, okay, well, we want to do three to five sets today. You know, if you're feeling good, go for the five sets. If you're feeling, you know, it's an average day, do the four sets. If you're feeling it's a, it's a kind of crappy day, do the three sets. We're using some form of that. It looks different for every client, but you know, that's what we're doing. You know, some clients, again, like you can just be like, you're doing three sets across the board. You know, we know exactly how you perform it. Nothing changes and that's perfectly fine. But either way, we're still keeping an auto-regulatory mindset with regards to all of this stuff, you know? So unless either of you have anything to say on that, the, well, there's two things I just want to finish up on. Um, so do you either, either of you have anything to say? Fantastic. So, and you touched on this earlier on, Gary, but in terms of excessive exercise and amenorrhea, this is something that we kind of have to pay attention to. And um, now we generally are looking at nutrition first when we're dealing with amenorrhea because generally that's usually the biggest lever that we have to pull you know generally you're going to see people yeah they might exercise a lot but they're actually just eating uh, a little they're not eating enough you know so we're going to be like right look you know ideally we want to change the exercise if this is this is something that's really contributing to the amenorrhea but realistically we're going to try to increase food first and foremost because that's going to be the biggest determinant right and um, but having said that and like I, I, you know, I've done a lot of research into this area um, and I've helped a lot of clients, you know, regain their period. In my experience, we generally do have to reduce exercise somewhat, you know, now that doesn't mean if you're doing your three sessions of resistance training per week and you're dealing with amenorrhea, we're going to have to go down to two sessions per week, you know, like three sessions, four sessions in the gym, that's fine. But generally what we're talking about is when you're doing an excessive amount of cardiovascular training, or you're doing like, you know, six training sessions in the gym. And then you also happen to be a personal trainer and you teach like four spin classes a day. It's like, well, we, we need to do something with your overall energy expenditure, you know? Um, but what are your thoughts here, Nicola? So you have a client comes to you, they say they've been dealing with amenorrhea and, you know, they, they're training a lot. What are you thinking? Yeah, so you have to look at a, a couple of different facets here. So it's it's not just the training, like you're saying, it's nutrition, um, but it's also like psychological stress as well. So you, you kind of need to deal with with the three things there. Um, and I suppose it's very easy to just dial in on, on just the nutrition um, and not look at, you know, how much they're training, how they're eating around training as well. Do they have enough energy availability um, around the training sessions that they're doing? Um, you know, are they doing huge cardio sessions in the morning and then also doing intermittent fasting? And so they're not eating until, you know, like 1 p.m. Um, you know, on top of that, um, is there a lot of like psychological stress there from, you know, work? relationships whatever it is um so you need to tackle like all of those things um because amenorrhea essentially um it is you know like a state a state where your body's phys physiologically um stressed and suppressed so you need to um deal with each of those individually 100 gary your thoughts jack no completely agree yeah so again practically speaking if you're dealing with this, and I don't know, I can't remember if we did a podcast on this or we're going to do a podcast on this. I think we're going to do a podcast on this. Um, but uh, when you're dealing with this, well, yeah, the training is an important aspect of it. 
like there's usually bigger levers to pull first and foremost, you know, like I'm always hesitant to be like, you know, this is probably like training is something that someone enjoys. It's a stress reliever, even though it is a stressor as well. I'm like, look, I'm not going to change that massively. I'm going to let you do the stuff that you enjoy, but we're getting everything else sorted first. We're eating more, we're getting sleep better, you know, stress management techniques, whatever it is, we're doing all that stuff. And yeah, we might reduce training volume, especially if we're doing excessive amounts of cardiovascular training, like any high energy output training but in reality we're probably dealing with this from other aspects but i wanted to bring it up in this episode because i know people think about this stuff and they're they're you know you talk about the menstrual cycle and then you're like well i actually don't have a menstrual cycle and what should i do with my training you know um so that is something to consider now obviously there are other aspects in terms of you know you could be pregnant you could be uh, postmenopausal or perimenopausal um so there are other things to consider and we will talk about them in in future episodes um but you have something to say nicola no, no, it, it, just, it, it is a good point. Like you were saying, I mean, someone who loves their training, whether it's resistance training or cardiovascular training, taking them away from that can, again, be something that induces stress with them, with them, even though it might be something that long-term might be a net beneficial thing. So it is about, you know, coaching them that we're going to be reducing, you know, volume, maybe taking away a few sessions, but in the long term, um, you're going to feel a lot better. Um, so it's not just running. It might be someone that's doing maybe not even excessive hit training. Maybe they might be doing, you know, they might be going from no training to doing three or four hit classes a week. And again, um, you know, hit does produce a lot of stress on the body and even though um, you're exercising and it's a good thing like our bodies can't really differentiate between that and it's still just seeing I suppose this again this um, increase in stress on the body is increasing cortisol um, and again you're, you're pairing that with maybe someone who is um, eating less um, and still has all the life stressors going on as well um, so it is about, you know, coaching people that, okay, we're going to kind of take you away from training for a while, like in the short term. Um, but again, this is going to be a huge overall benefit um, to you down the line once we kind of get you your, your regular cycle back. 100%. And then to kind of finish up the episode, are there any specific injuries that you see in women? Like Gary, you mentioned earlier on the ACL stuff. Like that is something that I know a lot of, field athletes you know if you play you know gaa soccer whatever it is you know you tend to see a lot more acl injuries in women but other than that are there any injuries that either of you are kind of like that's something that i need to be aware of you know this is a female population keep an eye on that not massively really i mean there there are variations as i said in, in knee injuries like acl is, is probably the most high profile one patellofemoral pain syndrome is, is another one that, that comes up. Um, but like, other than that, like there's not massive differences in musculoskeletal uh, injury risk, at least like there are bone injuries, as we mentioned, bone stress injuries, that kind of comes down more so to the low energy availability. Like, yeah, there might be some differences in the way forces are distributed, but um, I think the reds uh, low energy availability side of things probably covers most of that. Um and then, of course, there are some, I guess, more nuanced injuries or conditions, if you will, like, for example, pelvic floor dysfunction, um, incontinence, stress incontinence in particular. Um, I, there's been a few videos kind of that have went viral about that recently of women deadlifting and just like 
being all over the floor but like they take they take it in good spirit like they're they're kind of laughing at themselves and they're laughing at the guy in the gym who has to go and clean it up <laughs> it's pretty funny um but but yeah like i mean that that kind of it, it comes along with you know obviously female anatomy differences in female anatomy anatomy but then i guess the stresses that come from lifting three four five hundred pounds you know if you're a very strong woman it's very difficult to for your pelvic floor to keep up with that sometimes and um, so that's something that can happen you can have you know pelvic pain is is also something that that different that there's differences in between males and females um i'm trying to think is there anything else kind of significant there um yeah not not really beyond beyond that i don't think so nicola yeah, so just echo what, what Gary said, pelvic floor is a you know a huge one. And and it's one I think that we um you know don't obviously don't think about enough. We only think about it in terms of women who've um you know postmenopausal or women who've had babies when actually there's a lot of women, you know, like in their 20s that are still suffering with yeah. uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, may not even realize it. Um and you you notice this a lot, I think when you are training um someone in the gym so like if, if we think back to like a lot of women are just programmed to you know suck in 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 their stomach like the entire time like we walk around daily like that and like what we don't realize what we're doing there is so we're inhaling pushing the diaphragm down which is um putting tension on the pelvic floor um which can kind of put us in this like hypertonic um state so we're you know you know constantly like walking around like that so when we're in the gym and I'll, I'll see it even when when girls are sending me videos um of them doing exercise in the gym they don't realize that they're they're just sucking in like the entire time when they're sending these videos um and between that and um there's like so they're, they're they're sucking in there's a huge amount of even um differences and like excessive kind of pelvic rotation as as well um again which can put tension on the pelvic floor too so you'll see um you know um a lot of women walking around with like an anterior like pelvic tilt and again there's that excessive rotation can cause pelvic floor dysfunction again which has a knock-on effect even when you do get to the stage where um you know you're you're having children and you're trying to come back to the gym um you know your pelvic floor is in a hypertonic state it doesn't know how to relax and if it doesn't know how to to relax then when you need it um for the times when you're in the gym or even when you're coughing or sneezing or going up the stairs um because it doesn't know how to relax it doesn't know how to like um appropriately um, contract to the max level that we need it in those times when there's an increase in tension if we're constantly have it under tension um so that that's um, a huge issue that again is underappreciated in the younger population yeah and again i, I want to reiterate the point there it's like this is a thing for all women well guys as well to an extent but you know you generally see more effects of this in women you know it's like this can happen to you at any age you know this is not just like oh that's uh you know something i have to think about after pregnancy or something it's like no like this is something that you should be aware of at all times you know but in terms of the injury stuff like in fairness like the only stuff that i ever encounter is usually around you know knees hips to an extent because purely like female pelvis is you know you're kind of in this uh 
battle between wanting to be able to walk and function like a normal human and then also being able to give birth you know it's like you have this this is why evolution is you know it has made it difficult for childbirth for humans you know there is this kind of evolutionary battle here right um so it usually is either downstream of that or upstream of that that there's an issue presented it could be the knees as a result of like you know the the angle of the the what's that called q angle um could also be you know again you see sometimes uh women have issues in terms of like pressing exercises because of that carry angle with their like it could have maybe an elbow injury or elbow issue you know i'm sure gary you've, you've seen this before as well um or you're just you see them like bench pressing and you're kind of like oh like it looks like their their arms are not moving in the right way yeah like you're, you're kind of a little bit freaked out about that also women tend to be a bit more uh like hyper mobile like you'll see women like like I'm hypermobile as well, so I can do it, but like they'll lock their arms out and it'll be like way more than you'd see like in a quote unquote normal arm lockout. And you're kind of like, Jesus, like need to need to pay attention to that. And usually it's not an issue, but it is something that, you know, potentially we need to be aware of. If you are a coach and you have a client that's, you know, they are very hypermobile, like we need to be very careful with actually strengthening their joints, et cetera, up, you know? Um, but yeah, the pelvic floor stuff, that's generally, you know, something that you're going to have to deal with, something that you're going to have to actually pay attention to, educate yourself on that. Um, but anyway, look, that's today's episode, the training side of things. Um, do you have any, either of you have anything to add, anything you want that we didn't cover or anything to touch on? No, sir. I don't think so. Just get out, get resistance training. And um, we are going to do a little bit more in terms of training around, you know, pregnancy and stuff, training around, you know, there's some differences in other life stages, but we'll, we'll talk about them in future. And, um, but for now, Gary, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah. So we do have coaching spaces available guys. If you guys and girls, if you would like a, to work with us, you know, in the training capacity and nutrition capacity, both, um, we'd be more than happy to work with you. You can find information about that in the description box below. Uh, that goes for the three of us and for the other coaches on our team. We also put out a lot of free information. So make sure you're following on Instagram at triage method and also follow our YouTube channel triage method, basically anywhere you'll find triage method. Okay. So just whatever platforms you use, you'll find triage method there. Make sure to subscribe, follow and share the content. Uh, that goes to the podcast as well. So if you're enjoying the podcast, clearly we're putting a lot of effort in. These are long old episodes. If you get this far, fair play to you. And we'd really appreciate if you share it, share it with a friend privately or publicly, um, and also leave a rating and review if you happen to have the chance. Uh, we have an email newsletter as well that goes out each week. And that's something that is, again, free content that doesn't go on our social media. And you can keep up with that too. Uh, maybe you don't use social media. You just want to use your inbox. And then you can find that useful content. Other than that, that's pretty much everything from us. Yeah. Other than that, I'm all good. So uh, let's wrap this up. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed themselves. And uh, Nicola, do you want to have any final parting words for our adoring audience? No, it have like have a good week, guys. You know, that's my happy Easter. <laughs> if you ate loads of, this is coming out tomorrow, isn't it? No, no, this is not coming out for another two weeks. Ah, never mind. I was going to tell you that not to starve yourself for the week because you had a chocolate egg, for God's sake. Um, but never mind. Two weeks time, I'll be amidst my exams. I might not even be alive. Nice. All right. Anyway, we will see everyone in the next episode.